Oh yeah, no, that's something right there. I got something big out in front of me, something big. Rooster, right here, rooster, right here. Ah, oh, eat it. Mother Welcome to Real Peer Radio. I'm your host, Greg Fitz. Thanks for tuning in to our inaugural episode, Chasing Shadows. This episode was made possible by our friends at Costa, the best polarized sunglasses on the planet, see what's out there and sage a producer of the world's finest products for mastering the art and science of fly fishing designed on the water handcrafted on bainbridge island usa and last but not least sims our world is defined by a passion for fishing you get one life fish it well for our first episode we wanted to tell a story about another meaningful first a while back Paul Moynister followed his buddy Brian Husky down to the beaches of Baja, Mexico with the hopes of being there when Husky caught what he would call his first real rooster fish. By the time Paul joined him, Husky had already made the trek down to Baja three times but had yet to tangle with a real rooster. And that accumulation of missed opportunities and empty days was beginning to weigh heavier and heavier on him. The beaches along the Sea of Cortez are a long way from the cold waters of Husky's home in the Intermountain West. He first learned about roosterfish in Baja through his father, who had loved to travel and fish throughout the region, but Husky didn't spend time there until he started going with his in-laws years later. Long before Husky ever stepped foot on Baja's beaches, the image of a big roosterfish slashing at bait in shallow water had been seared into his mind. Turns out, Crossing paths with that predatory fish is much easier said than done. But better to not get ahead of ourselves. We'll let Husky and Paul take the story from here. I said, man, I don't know. Everything sure looks juicy, sure looks perfect. And he's like, yep, it is. He's like, stick around, 50 pound rooster will show up. That's what he said. And then he's like, how long are you guys here? I said, oh, the next three or four days. He's like, all right, cool. Yeah, he said, it's been really shitty. I said, yeah, we've been here for about five. And he's like, ooh, that's been a tough five days, huh? I was like, yep. The first time I met Brian Husky was back in 2012 on the screen of the Fly Fishing Film Tour when I saw his fan favorite film, Doc of the Drakes, at a crowded theater in Northern Virginia. At the time, I was working in Congress and had become obsessed with every aspect of fly fishing. And needless to say, the images I saw on the big screen that night didn't make me feel a whole lot better about the fact that I was working 80 hours a week and wearing a suit and tie every day. A few months later, I devised an elaborate escape plan that I dubbed an upstream journey, a six-month cross-country fly fishing trip where I'd wade into endangered waters and document the threats facing them. Through a series of fortuitous connections I made on this journey, I got introduced to Husky, who before ever meeting me, invited me to crash at his place and take me to a few of his favorite fishing spots. With an invitation like that, I immediately dug the guy, but his status as one of my favorite fishing buddies was cemented that week by a bet he made, dubbed the 7-Minute Bet. I thought it was a joke at first, but Brian bet he could get me hooked up with a 20-inch brown trout on a dry fly in less than 7 minutes. He did it in 6. 
Since then, we've had a series of adventures over the years, ranging from chasing Steelhead in the snow of Idaho to working together to get his Keep Him Wet movement off the ground and running. So a few years into our friendship, when he called me up and asked if I wanted to join him in Baja for a week of 10 weights, tequila, and tacos, I jumped at the chance. It's the remoteness of it. It's the fact that it can be somewhat of a one-man show. You can come down on your own and do it alone. I personally feel an attraction to that almost solitaire element of walking a beach. We saw these needles and I wanted to come down and catch these needles because they were coming, they're coming in so hot on the fly and it's so fun to watch. And it's like, well, it's something to do. So I picked up what I thought was a ooh, good splash right up there, right on that, right where they come together, right on the sand line too. Oh, it's a, I see the fish, I see the fish. I don't know what it is, but I see it. I guess the region in general is, is rather remote and desolate and to me, there's a reward in figuring something out alone and learning it alone and doing it all alone. It's like the lone horseman on the skyline. There's just something about it that makes me feel comfortable being alone out here. Spending that time focusing, hunting. It's the hunting. Before we get into the heart of the story, you need to know two things. First, Husky has an innate fascination with doing things the hard way. It doesn't matter if he's chasing elk with a bow or steelhead on the swing. Husky is steadfast about doing things his way, which is never the easy way. Second, roosterfish are as beautiful as they are hard to catch. They are spectacular creatures with jagged iridescent combs jutting from their back, a unique and crazy characteristic that looks as bizarre as it does regal. These predatory fish stalk the warmer waters of the East Pacific from Baja to Peru and occasionally pass within range of a quick cast from the beach, that is, as long as the wind isn't gusting too hard. But their beauty comes with a price. These fish can be as cruel as they are beautiful. Most days, they can be impossible to find. And on the good days, when you're lucky enough to cross paths with one, they will often charge your fly at top speed, stop on a dime, and then disappear as quickly as they arrived. Watching that all unfold is just awesome, but it doesn't make the experience any less painful. One of the things I'm most passionate about really is archery hunting for elk, and, and it's not a matter of killing an elk every year. God knows I certainly don't, but it's that chess game that does go on, and it's those very few opportunities that you know you're going to have or you hope you're going to have. And when it's when you're... A sportsman out in the field the harder something is the more it eliminates a certain type of people and the more it attracts another type of person the visual aspect of trying to spot roosters on a beach where you may spot something and you have to put yourself in position for an opportunity at a shot and putting yourself into that position usually requires moving very quickly very efficiently, very quietly, and, and very strategically. It's incredible to me how far away you can actually spot fish on the beach. It just wouldn't have never imagined that you could be on a little knob on a dune 
and actually see fish coming down a beach from two, three hundred yards out, but you really can. And that's just so intense to be able to spot them at that range and then or or much closer range, whatever. But point being, you see something coming or going and it's like, okay, I see it. It doesn't see me. What is it doing? Where is it going? How can I get myself there and execute in a way that you get a fly in front of them and have a chance to catch them? There's a lot of dominoes that start to fall really fast. There are a lot of ways to chase rooster fish with a fly. You can sit on a boat and chum them up with sardinias. You can drive down the beach searching for them on revved up ATVs, hopping out for a quick cast when you spot them. You can walk beaches, teasing them in from deeper water with the bear plug, or you can do it the way Husky does it. They call it Running Down the Man, an homage to Feltzel Media's groundbreaking film with the same name. You walk miles on a remote beach hunting for roosters, and when you finally catch a glimpse of a cruising fish, you sprint after them and try to intercept them with your best feathered sardinia pattern, a ten weight, and a long history of unfulfilled dreams. Oh, I got something big out in front of me, something big. Right in front of me. It looked and no, same thing, looked and no. Coming towards you. Super big. Super big, going out in front of you right now. Long. 70, he's going away. Great big, he looked at my fly and didn't want it. When I just daydream of rooster fishing scenario, yeah, I'm certainly running them down. I hate boats. I hate fishing from boats. I, I mean, I'm not, not anything against boats, but fishing from a boat to me is like hunting out of a tree stand. There are tons and tons and tons of people that love to do it, and it is very effective, and they have a hell of a time doing it, and good for them. But to me, I like to be in complete control of every element of the situation and, and when you're in a boat that's just simply not the reality my dad never really fished out of boats either though when we were a kid i mean he got a boat here in, you know in the last 15 years or whatever but when we were when i was a kid the mold of who i am as a as a sportsman was shaped i mean it was spent on our feet on the riverbanks and in the mountains and we weren't ever riding atvs for hunting and we weren't ever using a boat to fish. I pride myself in being a decent athlete and I work hard at certain times of the year, not, uh, not all the time, not every year, but I work and train hard for certain things to be in shape and be fit. And I know that, you know, that provides an opportunity that, that I do have out here that, you know, not everybody has that same ability. And so I like to feel like I utilize it. Like, hey, I, I can go walk eight miles in an afternoon, no problem. And I can take off and sprint on the dime if I need to. And that's kind of cool. I'll concede it's certainly a stubbornness. I don't know what other way you could describe it because <laughs> when it comes down to it, it is just the way that I want to do it. And why? I don't know. It's because how I want to do it. I talked about how I don't read a lot of books and articles about how to catch roosterfish in Baja or whatever. I don't 
look at the maps a ton. I don't geek out on the tides. I don't do a lot of the research that um, a better angler would do and that I probably should do. For me, there's this bizarre fascination with just dropping myself down here and just literally boots on the ground, figure it out. I kind of wanted to reach this first one literally entirely on my own so that I can just own that experience and that I can say, not that I have caught a rooster fish like this, but I can say that I know how to catch a rooster fish, at least one. To me, catching a first good rooster fish is a very important experience that I want that experience to be quality. Let's talk about the high school kid, you know, losing his virginity. It's like you could go out and sure, you could go hire a hooker and bang, you got it. Yeah, that was great. Or you could be like the high school kid that's like, no, I want to find you know, whatever, the true love with the right girl that I really like, that are the blah, 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 and I want it to be like that. Actually, I think that's somewhat of an accurate uh, uh, analogy. And so it's like somebody saying, hey, well, let, no, let's just go out on a ponga. How do I want that to be? And what am I willing to sacrifice in order to get it that way? Right now, I mean, I can do it the hard way, and so I want to do it the hard way as long as I can. How is the nothing out there that will eat a fly in these conditions? I mean, we're in the goddamn ocean for God damn it, are you kidding me? It's one thing when I say that in the Boise River, there's nothing out there that doesn't want to eat a ultimately juicy white game changer just wiggling over it. I don't know. Let me put it this way. I do take the defeat pretty seriously. Let's pause here so I can give you a little insight about what taking the defeat seriously looks like. After a tequila or three, Husky can joke about his defeats, but at times they haunt him. A few years ago, after another archery elk season where Husky once again failed to put meat in his freezer, he sent me this email bemoaning his protracted string of failed ventures. Quite honestly, on the subject of elk hunting, my emotional state slash frame of mind is volatile, unstable at best. So many years of hard work have resulted in as many years of pathetic failure. My passion for the experience and the optimism I armor myself with each season begin to look nothing but foolish and laughable in retrospect. Needless to say, it's a contentious struggle deep in me. Only my fourth trip, but I've put in a lot of long, hard days on each of those trips. It sure seems like I get a lot of bad luck. <laughs> Hunting and fishing, the things that I want the most, those victories that I work the hardest for, seem to find a way to elude me year after year. And it can be any number of things, and it happens to everybody. And I mean, I'm not like literally like crying, I have it worse than anybody else or anything like that. But when it comes down to luck in the field, I mean, let's be honest, everybody out there has got only so much that they can do 
and then there's just the last final two two drops in the glass that either have to you know have to happen the right way or or, or everything's not going to work and it seems like often there's something that goes funny at the last minute or uh, prevents the circumstances from really working out whether it's the conditions or whether it's a scenario or whether it's something breaking down or hysterical comedy of errors the things that you know just go wrong and you're like just left shaking your head going man it got to be frustrating and I made the comment to my wife Allie at one point I was like Jesus Christ I'm coming home from Baja with these photos that look like fantastic photo essays if we just went to Baja to tour and take photos. <laughs> and it's hard to go on a trip like this and then come home with nothing more than five fingers full of excuses. Five fingers of reasons that the fishing sucked. Because for our trip so far... Literally, there have been those reasons every time. This trip included. Once again, a really, really tough hand of cards. There's pretty much no way to polish that turd. It's been tough for us. One shot a day. Those are tough days. They call steelhead a fish of a thousand casts. I don't even want to think how many tens of thousands of casts I've spent in the Sea of Cortez from the shore trying to get that one respect, you know, decent rooster. It would be one thing if Husky's string of bad luck stopped at the water's edge, but unfortunately, it was starting to spread to other aspects of his life. It's no laughing matter, but I don't know any other way to cope with certain things when it comes to death in the family. One coping mechanism is almost to kind of laugh and wonder, like, really? The last trip that I had planned to leave, you know, basically get in an airplane and go fishing somewhere. My father was killed in that accident just, just prior to that, and that was about two years ago and I haven't had a trip since then until I planned this trip and then just days before we departed on this trip my grandfather passed. It's coincidental but sometimes enough coincidences keep occurring to where you kind of start to notice and think god I'm a little worried about planning my next trip to go somewhere because I can't help but you don't have a great grandfather. Oh geez no I don't there's this no, it's getting down to the real core people now if I plan another trip and somebody's got to pay the price. I'm, <laughs> I don't want to do that to somebody. <laughs> oh. He was a tremendous athlete. He was a marathon runner, a biathlete, a triathlete. At 67 years old, he was still doing all of those things. And um, as much as my dad was down here during that time, I didn't have a very strong connection to it directly because around that time I was graduating from high school in 95. And so I was out of the house and I was, you know, attending 
college and then I was working and being, you know, a 18, 19, 20 year old spending as little time around my family as possible because at that time in your life, you know, you got a lot of other things and places and people you want to be hanging out with, especially in a small town like Bend. At any rate, yeah, I, you know, I was, I was being a young kid, having a lot of fun doing the things that kids do. And, um, and that was really the time when my dad was kind of coming down here and starting to really explore the fishing opportunities down here. He and I really understood each other, I think, in a way that um, we were both very accepting of each other. He was tremendously understanding of what it's like to be an 18-year-old kid and not necessarily wanting to hang out with your dad as much as you want to go hang out with your buddies and drink beer and get into mischief. And given the fact that he was a state trooper, I think that's a pretty incredible understanding on his part to give me that space and to just know that you know that was a time when I go and and be with friends and chase after girls and and do those kinds of things that I'm sure he looked back on fondly as well you know family stuff can get complicated and over the years that follow that I never really connected well with my dad again you know for a variety of reasons but the fact is that, you know, he's no longer with us. He was killed in, a, in an accident on his bicycle, ironically enough. A rather ironic ending to an um, incredible life. When a loved one gets diagnosed with something like cancer, you have time to mend fences, heal wounds, say the things you wish you had said before, and take back the things you wish you hadn't. But when your dad dies in a freak bicycle accident riding home from the gym one night, you're not only left grappling with the question of how the heck such a vibrant life could be extinguished in such an absurd fashion, but you're also robbed of closure. There's no time for goodbyes or last chances to say I love you. There's just the memories of the times you shared and the enduring wish for more of them. For Husky and his pops, those times and memories always involved hunting and fishing. No matter how distant their relationship was, they were forever bonded by their shared passions for the outdoors and the years they spent together in the field. So it should come as no surprise that this indelible connection is never far from Husky's mind. So he experienced a lot of this area down here um, that I don't simply don't know about. We're, we're in the area right now that, that he really liked, and that is why I wanted to come down here for this trip, was to come here and spend time doing what I love to do, which is hunt after these crazy rooster fish, and spend time under the shadow of the same mountains that, that he did, walking these same beaches, fishing the same water that that I know that he was drawn to out of the entire Baja Peninsula. This particular area is really, really where he liked to be. And I was never here with him myself. It's a fulfilling experience to be down here now with friends and family and have a sense of being here with him now that he's passed. Yeah. 
A lot of the idea of coming down here for this trip and to coming to this location specifically because this is where my dad loved to be. We had hoped to bring his ashes here and spread him on these beaches that, that we're walking. Fortunately, my wife Allie is very on the ball and had the foresight to research the logistics of traveling with that type of cargo. And it turns out that can be problematic. And we certainly were not going to risk a debacle in the security line with my father's ashes. And so to bring him back down here and uh, do what we had um, hoped, we're going to have to drive. And that's the way that he always did it. I don't think my, in fact, I know my dad never flew to Baja. He always drove or rode a motorcycle. And so maybe that's his way of uh, indicating that next time I need to drive down. But it's like, shit, we are not looking at the tide charts. We're getting up in the morning and we're coming to wherever we want to fish and we're fishing. We're just playing the cards we're dealt because, I mean, what else are we going to do? The tides, oh, I guess, I mean, we could be learning about where the high tides are highest and lowest because they're different in different locations. Figuring all of these little things out is, it just gives you so much to think about and it's such a fun puzzle to try and put together. And catching that nice rooster fish from the beach, for me, it's not like, yeah, I finally got one and I did it the hard way. But it's like now I can say I know how. Yeah. Uh, did you catch that there right at the end when Husky says catching that rooster fish? That wasn't a hypothetical. It happened. It was amazing. And I'd give it anything to have it on tape, but I blew it. Call it the curse of the recorder or whatever, but we had been recording for days to no avail. All was quiet on the beach, save for the constant howling wind, so I turned off the recorder, removed the mic from Husky's belt, and stowed it in my pack. Of course, not long after that happened, a gang of three Grande roosters showed up. It was the best chance we'd gotten in our first five days working the beach, and by far the best chance we had all trip. I was in the midst of a fly change when I caught some movement in my periphery. I looked up and saw Husky sprinting down the beach around the Big Ben. I dropped my rod and ran after him. As I rounded the curve, I saw him hooked up. His rod was doubled over, his reel was spinning, and his left hand was held high in celebration. Instinct took over. I grabbed my camera, not the recorder, and then documented him landing his first real roosterfish in a medium worthless for podcasts. My bad. I can't count enough ways that we were lucky. Things work out the way that they did and catch a very nice, respectable rooster fish from the beach. No guide, no boat, no teaser on a surf rod. Just me and my flippy floppies, a one fly in hand and a rod in the other. And, and then to have you there with your camera ready and then to have Allie hear me yell from 
450 yards down the beach around the corner out of sight in a decent wind. Fortunately, the wind was blowing the right direction, and so that helped her here, I'm sure. And then the fact that we were able to share that time with that fish and not have a ponga leering in the background or, you know, a ATV come tearing around the corner wanting to watch and gawk and, you know, to have that special time alone or more or less private and quality experience to have that fish and just to not have distractions of any of that other stuff in the background. You know, catching the fish required enough luck on its own, but then to have that experience remain pristine, that's definitely the, the kid getting the girl. That individual fish that we caught here will definitely be my favorite fish. But that was, that was a real long, long span to get to that achievement. And I feel bad even calling it an achievement because to me, I don't like to think of it as saying that, oh, well, I've caught this particular fish and it was this particularly big for me. So much more of it has been that journey of learning how to do it and learning how to do it alone. I take the defeats very seriously, but the victories, I like to just let those go and laugh and smile and... It's like just rainbows coming out of a hot air balloon at this point. Yeah, you know, catching that fish, I think, was definitely a part of a connection to my dad. Although, over time, I have a feeling that that experience and that fish will only grow in memory and connection to him. I think there's a lot of things that we go through in life that at the moment we don't realize their significance. It's only over time as we look back that we start to make more and more connections to what that specific event may have been representative of and catching a fish like this one i've spent so many years anticipating what it would be like the fish actually happens and now i'll spend the rest of my life looking back on that and as bizarre as it sounds the actual event of catching and landing that fish becomes the smallest slice of that three-piece component it was everything that led up to it, and it will be the forever afterwards that we'll look back on and you'll remember, and you will tie all of these other things in your life and all of these other memories and circumstances, and you know it, it, it all becomes part of it. And pretty soon that fish in the middle is just a tiny little sliver. Thinking about you know the way that my dad understood me and the way that I hope that we understood each other was really as as individuals that had somewhat of a loner streak in them. I think that there are certain activities that seem to suck in those characters. The rugged individual that is the chucker hunter or the steelhead angler. Certainly 
the guy on the motorcycle that you see in the desert in the middle of nowhere and you just wonder like man what what's going on under that helmet who is that guy why is he out here and and what makes him want to be out here and a lot of that i don't understand but when it comes to being down here i feel like there's a part of it that i do understand and i feel like that's something that that I do share with my dad and we didn't have a real strong connection in the last few years of his life um, and so now being down here in Baja on the same beaches that I know that he loved I do actually feel some comfort that there's a connection between us and an understanding between us that um, as I learn the nuances of this area, of this fishery, it's like I feel like I'm learning it with him. I feel like he's with me and it feels good and it's fun and I feel like I'm fishing with my dad again. Well, we're sorry about not catching a recording of Husky landing his rooster fish. But Paul and Husky did get some great photos. And as Husky would tell you, it absolutely was a rainbows coming out of a hot air balloon moment. We've got Paul's photos posted on our website, realpureradio.com, and on our Instagram, at realpureradio. Check them out. We're happy to report that Husky's luck has changed. Maybe the rooster fish broke some karma loose. Since catching that fish, Husky has launched Keep Em Wet Fishing, harvested a bull elk a couple of seasons in a row, and he and his wife Allie have also welcomed their healthy baby boy Ashton into the world. The one thing the roosterfish didn't unlock was more roosterfish. Even though Husky has been back to Baja several times since these recordings, he still hasn't caught another grande. But you can bet he'll be back on those beaches looking for another one soon. We want to pass along a big thanks to Brian Husky and Allie for letting us tag along. Huge thanks to Paul Moynister for the recording and for telling our story today. We also want to once again thank our sponsors, Costa, Sage, and Sims. Not only does their support make Real Pure Radio possible, but their great gear is ready to support you on any fishing mission, no matter if it's in Baja or your own backyard. If you've enjoyed today's story, make sure to subscribe to Real Pure Radio wherever you get your podcasts. And oh, in case you're wondering if Husky started doing things easier, rest assured, he hasn't. This winter, he emailed us to let us know he's deep into a whole new layer of doing things the hardest way possible with a string of chucker hunting missions without a dog. Tens of miles and thousands of feet up and down, steep as hell terrain, with his kiddo Ashton strapped to his back the whole time. Apparently, they both love it. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.